Welcome to Gateway Community Church, Webster, Texas. We're so glad you found us, and we hope this message helps you discover more about God and His unique plan for your life. Well, if you've seen the Shawshank Redemption, you'll, you'll get that. If not, our guys are having fun anyway. But uh, it, it's, it's a, a great take on something that happens in the movie. And, and the movie is a, wow, it, it is a really powerful movie about fear and hope. And, and, and if you've seen it, I've seen it. I mean, it, parts of it are hard, quite honestly, they're hard to watch. And, and it, it definitely earned its R rating. And I want to remind us always that, that the, the point of a series like this isn't just simply to lift up a movie and, and say everything about it's great or, or, or affirm all that. And yet, in spite of that, yet that they teach us constantly to be, to be looking for and watching for where God is working. And what does he want to teach us in, in any circumstances? We go through life, it becomes easy to just kind of try to shutter our lives and, and deal with certain things in certain places. And God's saying, no, I want to be God of all of your life and all of your places. I'm not just the God of, of Sunday morning. I'm the God at work and I'm the God in your play and I'm the God in your family. And, and I want you to be looking for me and, and, and watching expectantly to see where I'm going to break in, where I'm going to reveal myself to you how I'm going to work in you and through you if you're watching. And I believe that God can use the Shawshank Redemption in a very powerful way to teach us about prisons. And not just prisons made of concrete and steel, but especially those of our own making. That, that some here today are living in prisons of your own making, prisons of your own experiences. And yet in the midst of that, to tell you, as the movie says, there is hope, the power of hope. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is power no matter what circumstance we find ourselves in. The movie, The Shawshank Redemption, was based on a short story by Stephen King called Rita Hayworth and Shawshank Redemption. That, may, that title may sound strange unless you've seen the movie. You'll, you'll kind of get that. And, and the movie just barely broke even when it came out in 1994, just barely got above its, its cost to make. Um, came out the same year as the movie we looked at last week, Forrest Gump. And, and Forrest Gump did extremely well. Interestingly, Tom Hanks, who played Forrest Gump, was up for the role and turned it down, the role of Andy Dufresne, who's played by Tim Robbins in this movie, because he had already contracted himself to do the role of Forrest Gump. The Shawshank Redemption was nominated for seven Academy Awards uh, that year, uh, up against Forrest Gump, and Forrest Gump won them all, shutting uh, Shawshank out, but probably because it had, done, it had done so well in the nominations and because it had been so overlooked in the box office, the next year in 1995, it led all video rentals. It was the number one grossing video rental of the year and has continued through certain arrangements with TNT television and others to show up and has become now one of the great movies uh, of, of, of the 20, late 20th century. Um, the movie begins, it's set in the beginning in 1947, 
when banker Andy Dufresne, again played by Tim Robbins, is convicted of murdering his wife and, and her lover. And, and he's sentenced to two life sentences at the fictional Shawshank State Penitentiary set in Maine. Andy befriends a guy named Ellis Red Redding, played by Morgan Freeman, who also is serving a life sentence for murder. Andy, if you've seen the movie, you know the first couple years, there are some brutal experiences, some very hard to uh, watch experiences, before finally he's assigned to the library uh, in 1949 to assist elderly inmate Brooks Hatlin, played by James Whitmore. But really, we, we discover his assignment to the prison was to the, the prison library was really a pretext used by the, the warden, Samuel Norton, to get Andy to start managing financial manners for many of the prison employees, including himself. And in fact, several years later, the warden will come to Andy and, and use him to launder money um, through the system for, because he has begun to use prison inmates as uh, cheap labor to bid against public works projects and, and uh, pocketing the money either through the, the low cost he has through labor or through kickbacks from others who want him not to bid because he can beat all their bids. Brooks, the prison librarian, is paroled in 1954. But he's been there for 50 years, and he doesn't want to leave. He's gotten so used to prison that he fears getting out. In fact, he doesn't adjust well at all to living on the outside and ends up hanging himself. In essence, Brooks had created a prison in his mind that was more formidable than any concrete and steel prison that any state could ever create. Meanwhile, Andy, uh, as the story goes on, receives a donation to the library that includes uh, a recording of The Marriage of Figaro by Mozart, and he plays it over the PA system even though he is uh, doing it against the warden's orders and he's thrown into solitary confinement. When he's released, though, a couple of weeks later, he, he seems none the worse for it, and he explains to Red that it has been hope that has gotten him through that time. And Red has a hard time believing that. In 1966, a new inmate there reveals to Andy that while he had been in another prison, he had met an inmate who had claimed to have murdered a woman and a doctor or a, a golf pro. And Andy realizes this, these were the murders he was convicted for. He tells the warden, but the warden refuses to listen, and when Andy starts talking about the money laundering, the warden throws him back into solitary confinement, ultimately for two months. When he gets out, he seems pretty down, but he tells Red his dream of living in Suatanexo, a Mexican town on the Pacific coast. And he gets Red to promise that, that if Red ever gets released from prison, he is to go to a specific hayfield near Buxton, Maine, and there dig up and retrieve a package that Andy had buried there. Well, Andy does escape from the prison in an ingenious manner that our, our short earlier kind of alluded to. Uh, there's a lot more to it than that, and, and if you haven't seen the movie, th that part in itself is, is genius. He, he gains access to the money that the warden has had him launder and uh, 
takes it with him and sends the warden's ledger to the local newspaper and they contact the police who go to Shawshank to arrest him. A year or so later, Red is finally paroled. Now after having served 40 years in prison. And just as Brooks did, he finds it hard on the outside. In fact, he goes and ends up living in the same halfway house, in the same room, bagging essentially the same groceries that Brooks had. And you can see it beating him down. But at some point, he remembers the the promise he made to Andy. He finds the package which contains money and a letter asking him to come to Suatanexo and Violating his parole, he travels to Mexico to meet up with Andy. And i got to tell you, as I watch this movie, there there are a lot of things that that we could focus on. There are a lot of important messages here. But but as I watched it, I saw this striking parallel. just kind of jumped out at me in the lives of Brooks and the life of Red. Both in prison for decades, both paroled late in life, both find it very, very hard to make it on the outside after having been in prison, and yet, and yet Brooks commits suicide while Red moves on to a new life. And I think it's worth asking, what happened here? What went on that allowed Red to move forward in life while Brooks ended his life? Through our prison ministry here, I had the privilege of preaching at the Ellis unit a while back near Huntsville. And I talked with prisoners who were serving life sentences there and discovered that, that uh, to my surprise, there were some there who, who did not want to leave. They, they did not want to leave prison. They wanted to spend the rest of their lives there. Now, in one case, I talked to a guy, and he was a follower of Jesus Christ, and he saw it as his ministry. He saw it as his opportunity to witness his faith to these men who were in there, and he believed that he could be most effective if he stayed the rest of his days in that prison, and it really, it really struck me. Uh, this past week, Scott Rainey in our church sent me information about a seminary that exists in the Darrington unit over near Sugarland where it trains up and grows Christian inmates to be, uh, to know the Lord and, and, and know their Bible. And, and it is primarily for men who are there for life, who are never going to get out, but who go through this training and then get sent to other prisons where they have a ministry then of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it amazed me, and, it, and I think it's an amazing picture that, that these men could see that even though they were still bound by, by concrete walls and steel bars, they were not imprisoned. They were free. They were freer, in fact, than some of us in this room today. They were free to live their lives, to make a difference, to, to serve Jesus Christ. But there were some in there who certainly did not see it that way. And, and staying in prison as long as some do, they develop a, 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 in prison not just a prison of concrete and steel, but a prison of their minds. And Red put it this way at one point in the movie. He said, these walls are funny. First you hate them. Then you get used to them. Enough time passes, you get so you depend on them. That's in, in, institutionalized. 
They send you here for life, and that's exactly what they take, the part that counts anyway. Now, I know, I know for some of you that may sound strange, and it may be really hard for you, some of you to imagine, but for some of you in here this morning, you are experiencing a prison, a prison of your own making, a prison not of concrete and steel, but a prison up here in your mind. We can get locked into certain patterns in life. We, we can get into addictive situations or destructive situations where maybe we feel safer and more comfortable within these prisons of our own making. I'm not saying it, it, it all maybe makes sense to all of us, but I'm saying that's reality. And it's this fear, fear that can do that to you and me, that can help us create prisons in our minds. Sure, we're, every one of us in here, we're free to walk out of here, we're free to do what we want, we're free to live our lives, go wherever we like. But for some of us in here, there are some fears that keep us, in fact, from doing that. Fears that maybe keep us from exploring a, a new job opportunity. Fear that keeps us maybe from deepening uh, a relationship we're in or making a commitment in a relationship we're in. Fear that we'll never live up to someone's expectations, no matter how hard we try, so why bother? Fear that keeps us locked up on the inside that, that makes us afraid to share our faith with someone. Fear that keeps us from tackling a new challenge in life because what if we fail? Fear keeps some of us from trying new things or leads us to always expect the worst no matter what we do or stops us from ever stepping out in our faith. King David said, fear and trembling overwhelm me and I can't stop shaking. He didn't write that from prison. He wrote that as a life that outwardly might seem to have everything going for it. In fact, the Bible says he was a man after God's own heart and still he knew fear. Fear is a powerful prison guard that can lock us down and keep us from living. Oh, we can go through the motions, we can go through the steps, and we may not be able to identify it as fear necessarily, but for many of us, it's there. And what we overlook is that many times we, we experience this fear because we fail to see any hope in our situation. We've failed to see any way through it. We failed to, to see any possibility. And, and, and honestly, that kind of failure is really, a, in essence, a belief that there's not a God. I mean, we can say we believe and we can believe, but if we don't think there's any way through the situation, if we don't think God can get us through it, if we're overwhelmed and, and, and afraid, 
then we may talk about God, we may come to church, we may say we believe, but if we don't say a way through it, then we don't, we don't believe, and fear overwhelms us. David said, I am losing all hope. I'm paralyzed with fear. Brooks lived in prison, and, and, and he got so used to those walls that ordered his life that, that when those walls went away, his fear of, of operating in a new setting overwhelmed him, and, and he saw no way through it. He saw no hope forward. He, he saw no future in what he was doing. He saw no purpose in his life, and so he took his life. Where there is no hope, fear takes over. Fear paralyzes us, or worse. Proverbs says, when hope is crushed, the heart is crushed. Our spirits are crushed. We're afraid to try. We're afraid to step out. We're afraid to believe. We're afraid to go. And yet people are desperately looking for hope. But, but the problem is when we put our hope in something that cannot Last, something that cannot carry us through, something that, that doesn't have the power, the strength to overcome the situation we're in. If we do that and, and, and we fail, then we may feel betrayed by hope. In fact, we may increasingly shut ourselves down from hope and push it away because the hurt is too much in trying so that we don't even try anymore. Red tells Andy in the picture, let me tell you something, my friend. Hope is a dangerous thing. Hope can drive a man insane. Those are the words of a man who, who tried to find hope. And each time he did, it was crushed. Because it was never in something that could give him what he needed. But when we place our hope in the right thing, in something that, that has the power to overcome our fears... That, that can get us through whatever we are facing, the, in God, he can change everything. We said there is power in the name of Jesus. Let him be our hope. Let God the Father be our hope. Let his Son and the Spirit living within us be our hope. Because as someone said, without God, we face a hopeless end with God we can experience endless hope. Listen to these incredible promises God gives you and me in, in, in his word, the Bible. Isaiah 41, 10, do not be afraid, I am with you. I am your God. It, it's been really, really cool to me this week, and if you're doing the Life Journal reading plan, as many of us do, the readings this week have been in Isaiah, in fact, in these chapters. And, and in fact, this morning, he talks about how sometimes we have created gods out of wood, sticks, or stone uh, in his day and time. Today it would be gods out of wealth, or power, or circumstances, or, or uh, family, or whatever it may be. But when we create those gods, they are little g-gods that can never ultimately provide us and carry us where we need to go. They can never help us escape the prisons that we find ourselves in. And so he says, do not be afraid. I am with you. I am your God with a capital G. Let nothing terrify you. I will make you strong and help you. I will protect you and save you. 
Peter wrote, give all your worries and cares to God for he cares about you. Some of you need to hear that. He cares about you right now. Whatever's going on, whatever prison you're in, whatever you're struggling with. Paul wrote Timothy, for God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. Jesus said, I am leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give isn't like the peace the world gives. So don't be troubled or afraid. And as Christ gives you and me a way through our fears to know, to know that there really is nothing that ultimately can overcome him and overwhelm him. And if we are with him, we are on his side, then his victory is our victory. And therefore, nothing can ultimately overcome us and overwhelm us. Then we begin to have hope again. Then we begin to see possibilities where there are none apparent. Then we begin to recognize that no matter what the world in front of us seems to say or do, no matter how it seems to be blocked off, God has a way through it. God can see through the darkest night. It doesn't mean it's going to be easy, far from it. In fact, it, it, it will be hard. And that's really important for us to understand. It's not that once I welcome God into my life, all my problems go away and it gets easy. That's, a, that's full of it. It does not get easy. In fact, it may get harder for you to go through it. But you can go through it, and that's the difference. You can break through the cell walls that are binding you rather than being imprisoned by them. Because you will not be alone, and you will find strength you never knew was possible through God. Isaiah wrote, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Poor Brooks could see no hope on the outside because of the prison his mind had created. No hope, no life. Guys, that's, that's true for every single one of us, every human being. No hope, no life. Red had trouble seeing any hope on the outside. But Andy kept telling him of the importance of hope as, as they first talked about the music, but in other places too. Watch. Haven't you ever felt that way about music? Well, I played a mean harmonica as a hell of a man. Lost interest in it, though. Didn't make much sense in here. Here's where it makes the most sense. You need it so you don't forget. Forget? Forget that there are places in the world that aren't made out of stone, that there's, a, there's something inside that they can't get to, that they can't touch. It's yours. What are you talking about? Like Brooks did. 
Dear Red, if you're reading this, you've gotten out. And if you've come this far, maybe you're willing to come a little further. You remember the name of the town, don't you? Remember, Red, hope is a good thing, maybe the best of things. And no good thing ever dies. I will be hoping that this letter finds you and finds you well. Your friend, Andy. I hope I can make it across the border. I hope to see my friend and shake his hand. I hope the Pacific is as blue as it has been in my dreams. I hope. I hope, Red says. And in that, he broke out of this prison. I hope. It was a victory for Red. And it is a big victory for any of us who find ourselves in any kind of prison. Because it takes hope to face whatever's in front of us, whatever is before us, whatever is holding us back, whatever has bound us, whatever has captured us, whatever has owned us, whatever has said we can't do it. It takes hope to face it and ultimately rise above it. In the letter to Red that he found buried in the field, Andy wrote, remember, Red, hope is a good thing, maybe the best of things, and no good thing ever dies. And, and for many people, hope Hoping is, is, is something they imagine. I mean, I hope this happens. I, I hope it goes well. I hope it goes the way I want. But that's really just wishful thinking. The Bible talks about a hope we can have. Something we can possess. Something we can trust, we can own, we can grab onto in the midst of our prison to see beyond the walls. There's a definition of hope that I think works for followers of Jesus. Hope is the confident expectation that God is willing and able to fulfill the promises he has made to you to you. And the Bible calls this a living hope because it is always directly linked to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Peter wrote, because of God's great victory, he gave us new life by raising Jesus Christ from death. This fills us with a living hope. And so we look forward to possessing the rich blessings that God keeps for his people. He keeps them for you in heaven where they cannot decay or spoil or fade away. There's a promise there that nothing can take that away from those of us who trust him, who follow him. Through his resurrection, Jesus Christ demonstrated once for all time beyond any shadow of a doubt that he is, in fact, God. That he really does possess the power to fulfill the promises that he has made. Promises that are incredibly bound up in 
who he is, promises that will change our lives, promises that he will guide us, promises that he will walk side by side with us through any turbulence in life, promise that he can bring good from anything that we face, promise that he will grant us eternal life in heaven. That is because the resurrection is a real event. It's not made up. It's not fantasy. It's not something that was concocted. Here was a man who said in three days, I will not just be killed, but I will be raised from the dead. I will be crucified, but I will rise again. If, if a man can say that and do that, think about it. If a man can tell you that in advance and then do it, there's nothing that man cannot do. There is nothing that God cannot do. You think your life is a mess. You think there's no way forward. Jesus died on a cross. There was no way through that except resurrection. And I want to tell you, God is in the resurrecting business. And the thing about resurrection is you don't know how it's going to happen. You don't know when it's going to happen. You don't know how it's going to end up. But if you trust, if you believe, if you have hope, there is a way through. It may not be what you think. It may not even be what you want. But it will be what you need. He will see you through. There is a hope. Hebrews says we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. And our hope is only as good as what is it attached to, what, what is it's anchored to. And so when it is anchored to Jesus Christ, who overcame death, who said he would, it is a hope that can overcome anything, no matter what you're facing, no matter where you are today, a hope that prevails, a hope that conquers, a hope that rises above whatever you're facing to help you overcome your fears, and break out of your prisons. Whether or not you are behind bars. It is a hope that sees a future that has meaning and purpose that no one can take from us, no matter what prison we are facing. It is a picture of eternity that John told us about in Revelation 21. He said, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And it is this ultimate hope, this living hope, that was born on Christmas, who was crucified on Good Friday, who was resurrected from the grave on Easter, who sustains you, sustains me, and keeps us going no matter what prison we see before us. That's why Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens. And I will give you 
rest. Because he can give us hope. No matter, no matter what prison, no matter what trouble, no matter what struggle you are in today. Well, let me tell you, we're not just to receive that hope ourselves. In fact, we are to receive it and then we are to share it with others who are desperately seeking hope in this world, who feel that they have none. You want to know what is breaking our world apart. You want to know what is driving people to do insane things. It's a lack of hope because they are imprisoned by their fears. And we're here to help share that good news that by living for Christ, we can do that all the time, not just for one hour on Sunday mornings. A few nights ago, a couple of families in our church were at dinner together at a local restaurant, and one of the couples gave me permission to share this story. And as a part of the normal thing that they did out at the restaurant in, in public, they prayed together before they ate. After the blessing, a woman walked up to them, handed them a napkin with a note on it, and asked them not to read it until after she'd been gone for 10 minutes. 10 minutes passed. They opened it, and this is what they read. Thank you for your prayer. I was planning my death tonight after dinner. I think I'll go home and pray instead. Yeah. Folks, that's not a movie. That's not a story somewhere out there. That's one of your stories. You see what I mean? When we, when we look for where God is working, when we trust him and we act in faith, when we believe in that hope and we live it out every moment, God can work in ways and open doors we never could have seen coming. He can do things that we have no idea about to bring life and hope and joy into this world. That simple act of faithfulness gave someone hope because that's what Jesus wants to do in you and me. But more than that, he wants to do it through you and me to those that we encounter around us, those who find themselves in prisons, whether they are prisons of concrete and steel or prisons of fear in their minds. And I would suggest to you that there are many more people imprisoned by fear than there will ever be imprisoned by concrete and steel. Cindy Byerly, who leads our prison ministry, shared this Friday evening, past Friday evening on her Facebook page this. She wrote, had a wonderful day today. We got to witness God's beauty as we watched moms that are locked up play and interact with their children. It was so heartfelt. I'm pretty sure at one point there wasn't a dry eye in the place. At the Henley unit, they had their first ever day with mom, and we got to be a part of God's big plan. I foresee huge things happening in the prison ministry at Gateway, and I'm very excited to be a part of it. Folks, that happened in Texas City at the Henley unit, where 350 or 450 women showed up, and I am told by Z that 60 or 70 of them came to faith in Jesus Christ. That was on Friday. That was men and women like you who simply acted in faith, who stepped out of their comfort zones, 
to break through some walls, to free some prisoners from these prisons. And I want to tell you, this prison is much worse than any prison of concrete and steel. That's why I love this passage from Hosea. God says, I will transform the valley of trouble into a gateway of hope. I tell you what, when I saw that verse a few years ago, I really thought God had given that to us and, and, and wants that to be real in our midst. And it's not something that I or a handful of staff or three or four volunteers can do. It's when all of us understand that we are children of God, that we have been blessed, that we do not have to allow fear to control us and contain us, and that we live our lives for Jesus Christ where we are every day. And in those daily moments, God will break through in ways we cannot even imagine to bring people out of the valley of trouble into a gateway of hope. That's what you are called to. You are called to so much more. You don't have to be great. You just have to be you. Right where you are. It's why we, we reach out to the hurting and offer ministries like Celebrate Recovery and Grief Share. It's why our prayer team is here every Sunday and they'll be down here right after this service to pray with any of you. And if some of you are looking for that hope, let me ask you not to leave today without getting an understanding and an assurance that you can walk out of here with that hope, a living hope. You don't have to go anywhere else imprisoned again. That's why we're involved in ministry with the homeless, through ministries like Thousand Hills downtown and our own The Mercy Tree right here in the Clear Lake area. It's why we have begun a prison ministry because we want to be that gateway of hope to those who are in real prisons so that they can find freedom in prison and remain free when they get out of prison. And our prison ministry has set up a table right outside these doors. If you want to talk to them, if you want to find out more, if you want to discover how you might just be the person God can use to break through someone's prison, if you will just break through your prison. We're here to help you break through those prisons of fear. Doesn't matter how they got there. Doesn't matter how big they are. God is bigger and he can break down any wall of fear because he overcame the grave. There is nothing he cannot do. He can give you and me a living hope that will see us through whatever we face in life. Let us pray. Father God, thank you for Jesus Christ and the victory he won over the grave that proves that he can do anything. There is nothing beyond your power. You spoke creation into existence and where we see walls, you see through them and you can see us through them. You can break down any wall, whether it's concrete and steel or whether it's built with huge blocks of fear. And it is my prayer this morning, God, I ask that you would bring release 
into lives this morning. I pray, Father, over those here this morning who are imprisoned, that you would break their bonds, that you would release them from those shackles, that you would free them and give them a living hope that no circumstance, no person, no one, no thought can take away from them. Father, we know the enemy wants to imprison us. He's done a good job on some of us. But it is my prayer this morning, Father, that some will break those bonds today. That they will find your courage to go through their fear, to have a breakthrough, because they have hope in you. That there is nothing and no one that can take the hope of Jesus Christ away. Free us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. To learn more about us, visit www.gateway-community.org. Welcome to your journey.